say amen and praise hallelujah. That's hood for hallelujah, okay? Uh, thanks, Jason. You know, it's an honor to um, be able to have your son introduce you and to um, able to just uh, see him uh, serving the Lord and with some good folk, uh, some good people here at MacAv. And so I do not take it lightly that uh, what God is, is doing in his life and particularly in this um, uh, community and in this uh, local body, this uh, fellowship known as Mac Avenue Community Church. Um, give me, I take it, I, I see there's a, okay, there's the clock. And, uh, you know, there's something I used to always say within Campus Crusade when I get up to speak. I try to use what is called the five B's of speaking. And that simply says this, be brief, baby, be brief, okay? Um, so, but I need to, you can help me out here because you say I'm, I'm over at uh, Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church. And so uh, I'm used to uh, dialogue, okay? Um, not a monologue, okay? And so if I say something that really hit you and grease within your spirit. You know, just say amen. Uh, but then if I say something that's a little confusing that you don't understand, just say, help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll get through this, I believe. Uh, okay. Um, let's pray just for a moment again. Father, thank you indeed for this grand opportunity to uh, stand before some of the most uh, precious people here in this city, especially on the east side, living out God's heart, indeed, for people in need. And so now I pray that uh, you would, uh, again, empower and energize me to able to teach and to proclaim the Word of God so that uh, your people might be edified, strengthened, built up, and even convicted where they need to be, in order that uh, we might be, all of us, including myself, might be better followers of Jesus Christ um, unto the glory of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um. I understand you've been going through the uh, the Gospel of John, and the passage that was assigned to me is John chapter 16, uh, verses 17 through 33. Uh, I'm curious, Eric, does this actually, can this flip a little bit more, you know, with the... I don't want to break anything because, yeah, okay, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Again, yeah, I think, yeah, that's John chapter uh, 16, beginning at verse 17 down to verse, the end of the chapter, verse 33. And I think that our, our brother Leon shared, I think, on last week with you, and, uh, Kind of did a you know, great job, I know, uh, talking about the gift, I believe, of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. And so I'm going to try and continue to transition. 
And I, I want to say this. It's interesting. When I first got the email from Eric, he'll say this. You know, he had lists, I think, for the month of June, uh, May and June, all the topics and the speakers. And when it came to my name, I only had like one verse. You know, it was like it said, John 16, verse 17. And I thought, oh, man, this brother don't trust me at all, you know. He gave me one verse. You know, everybody else got, you know, multiple verses there. But, hey, it was just a typo, right? That was how I'm, okay. All right. Okay. Um, I titled this message uh, this morning, uh, Today's Heartaches, Tomorrow's Joys. Today's Heartaches, Tomorrow's Joys. It was uh, February the 7th, 2010, a Sunday morning, just like this morning, but it was a first Sunday. And I was scheduled to bring the message at Tabernacle. Now, you got to understand that, you know, at Tabernacle, that's a kind of historic congregation in the city of Detroit, uh, has had a population, I mean, for its uh, membership, about 5,000, which is uh, it's kind of dwindled down some to about 2,000. But anyway, to, a chance to preach there is really a privilege and an honor, particularly first Sunday. And so I've been, you know, uh, preparing all week. It's Communion Sunday as well. And uh, uh, as I got up that morning and uh, I took my youngest, uh, our daughter Jessica, with me, and I told my wife, who is my African queen, Janice, and all the son, Jason, I mean, James, they're going to come and meet us at church. And so, you know, I, 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 um, I get there to church, and we always have a time where, as uh, a prayer time right before service, and usually the people all involved in the worship service are there. My son, James, was also scheduled to be a part of the worship service that morning to read the scriptures. But I noticed he wasn't there. We started at 11 o'clock. It's about 10.30. And that was very unusual. And so after prayer time, I called Janice to find out, you know, what was going on. And she said, Terry, uh, did you and Jessica take both of the cars? I said, what are you talking about? I said, no, we just came in one car. Well, she said, because our van is gone. It's missing. It's been stolen. And it's interesting. Guess what my subject for that morning was? Finding true happiness in an unhappy world. <laughs> and so, guys, you, you're going to live this beginning right now. And yes, you know, in the midst of all of that trauma, you know, the Lord got me through it. But I thought about, you know, as reflect on us, all of us have heartaches. All of us have disappointments. We all have sorrows. I think as one author said, in every life, some rain must fall. And that's true of all of us. And the question is not, are we going to have heartaches, sorrows, anguish, anxiety? The question is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how do we respond? Or how does God get us through? these heartaches. You know, I was um, kind of a 70s uh, child or 70s as a teenager, 
And uh, this was before hip-hop and rap and all this rhyming and remixing. This is when we had real music. It was called soul music. <laughs> and there was a, a famous R&B guy named Al Green. And Al came up with a song that says, one of his famous songs was, How Do You Mend a Broken Heart? And I, you know, I was going to actually bring it and play a few bars up for it, but I thought, wait a minute, they may throw me out. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, the lyrics go something like this. I can think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow, but I was never told about the sorrow. And how can you mend a broken heart? How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? What makes the world go round? How can you mend a broken heart? There are people all over the city of Detroit and in this community asking that same question. How do you mend a broken heart, especially when you've experienced loss in relationship? Well, you know what? I love the way you ask questions. <laughs> Think about that just for a moment, some of you. Okay. Let's go back to John chapter 16. Earlier, I'm sure Leon covered this, but in verse 6, let me say this, it says, out of the New American Standard, but because I had said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The disciples were in a state of deep heartbreak because Jesus had told them, I'm getting up out of here and you cannot follow me. Think about it, for three and a half years, they've been kicking it. I mean, they have left everything to follow him. They've had all kinds of tremendous experiences with the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, they've seen him take um, uh, uh, some, some fish sandwiches and feed 5,000 people. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him reprove and then rebuke the Pharisees. All for three and a half years, they've been kicking it. And then he tells them, I got to go. I got to get up out of here. And so it says they were filled with sorrow at the loss of this relationship. And you think about it, in your life, I'm sure you've experienced some heartaches as well, at a breakup, whether it been, you know, in a relationship between a male and female, or it could be relationships where it was just your, your buddies. Someone has to move. I heard that someone just prayed about getting ready to move down south. I bet that's tough because you're having to leave. The disciples were the same way. They were filled with sorrow, controlled it was consuming them. And in the midst of this, though, if you get nothing else out of this message, I want you to know that God will turn the waters of sorrow into the wine of rejoicing. He'll do that. How does he do it?
Let's take a look. Uh, Point number one. When we're going through sorrows, there's a lot of uh, perplexities. John chapter 16, 17 through 20. Go back to that slide there. John 16, 17 through 22. Uh, can we read that together? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, walking in the spirit, making this up as we go along, okay? Because this is, this is unusual for me. Let's do it together. Some of his disciples... joy away from you. I'm sorry, that got cut off. <laughs> you see, they were trying to take my joy already. Um, I don't know what happened there in the PowerPoint. Okay, number one, one of the areas that we all struggle with when we experience in heartache and sorrow is that what we call perplexities. We're puzzled. There are questions that we cannot understand that we're trying to figure out First and foremost, why am I in this place, this mess, in the first place? You think about it. Every week when I turn on the television, I'm listening to news, and I hear about another particularly young male that is shot and killed almost senselessly. And we've had numerous situations. Inevitably, when they turn the camera onto the mom or the grandmother, they ask, why? I don't understand it. He was a good kid. Perplexities. We all have them. We ask ourselves, God, what is going on here? The disciples ask Jesus in verse 17, it says, uh, what is this thing that he's telling us? A little while and you're not going to see me. And then a little while you're going to see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And it's interesting, you know, they were talking amongst themselves. It can be a dangerous thing to try and pool your ignorance together, all right? (laughs) To try and figure things out. They they did not go to Jesus. Because they were afraid or whatever. They were trying to figure this thing out among themselves. But the thing was, they should have went to the Lord and asked him, help us understand this. But you know, what I like about Jesus, 
what I like about God is that even in the midst of us trying to pool our ignorance, it's interesting, the first thing, uh, verse 19, it says that Jesus knew. God knows. Even when we don't share with him, even when we don't tell him, God knows what's on your mind and your heart. He knew about the, about the perplexing questions that they were going through. But it's interesting. The way he answered them wasn't by giving them a theological discourse about perplexing questions. <laughs> he deals directly with their sorrow, with a real, true, felt need. And so, under this point one, yeah, understand there is a principle that we need to apprehend here. And Jesus uses it by sharing an illustration, which is most moms here can really understand, and that's childbirth. I remember Bill Cosby said that, he said something about his wife saying that having a baby, the pain feels like taking one's lip and pulling it over your head, Okay. That's how painful it is. But notice um, what he says here. Verse 21, whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Here's the principle. Let me read it, Faith. I want to miss it. Let me miss this. God brings joy in our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. God brings joy into our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. Think about it. The very experience that causes so much pain in a woman in childbirth is also the same thing that gives her joy. And that's what? The child. You get it? She goes from what? Weeping and lamenting to when the baby comes, there's joy. I remember um, our firstborn. I was there for both uh, James and Jason's birth. And I remember, you know, uh, Janice was in labor for, <coughs> with James for 21 hours. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like you sit there and you watch the doctor you know, he's kind of like, like this bat catcher, you know, and he's sitting there, you know, kind of waiting. And, you know, it's just, <clears throat> it's grueling. But when our firstborn came forth, we forgot all about that. That was joy. And I was jumping up and down. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. It's a boy. It's a boy. <laughs> Nothing. But, I mean, God bless us with a daughter, too. <laughs> And he gave us another son, Jason. But that's the idea, is that God wants to take that same experience that brings you sorrow and transform it into joy. What many times that we want is a substitution. Take it completely away. Get me out of this situation. God doesn't do that. <clears throat> you know, as a matter of fact, that's how you spoil a child. Because every time that toy breaks, you go out and buy another toy. No. You deal with this broken toy. 
to learn how to fix it. <laughs> but we laugh a lot of times we're that same way, God. And the Lord says, no, I want to use this same experience that's causing you so much heartache and pain and transform it into joy, into delight. And he says, and I'm not making this up. Look at me. He tells them. Jesus says, look, in verse 20, truly, truly, when he says that, that double time, that means you got to really listen to this. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy, not substitute. He's going to turn it, transform it into joy. Bible scholars. What did Joseph tell his brothers <coughs> towards the end after uh, his father Jacob had passed and they were concerned and, oh man, dad is gone and so, you know, it's payback time. Joseph said, no, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph understood all of that pain he went through, being sold into slavery, being lied on by uh, Hoochie Mama and Potiphar's wife, <laughs> thrown into prison, forgotten. All of that pain and heartbreak, God ultimately transformed it, what? And turned it for good, for the blessing of his whole family and all, really, of the whole Egypt and the world, at, that, at least at that known time. And so are you perplexed this morning? Rather than trying to get a theological answer, I want you to apprehend, grasp, take hold of this principle that God brings joy in our life, not by substitution, but through transformation, taking that experience and as we trust him, he will, he will transform it just as he took, turned the water into wine. It wasn't like that first miracle that Jesus did at Canaan. It's what, it wasn't that he, he, um, he replaced the water, poured it out, and poured wine. No, he turned that water into wine. And he says, I'm going to turn your lamentation and your weeping, your sorrow, into joy. Secondly, not only is there perplexing mentally anguish, let's face it, there is some emotional pain that we go through. Emotional pain. Look at that words again and when it talks about uh, lament and weep there. That as, those are some of the strongest words in the Greek that it talks about wailing. You know, most of us have all gone to funerals or home goings and um, where, you know, people, you know, there's a sense of sorrow and people are crying. But I'll never forget when I went to a missions trip to the Bahamas. And I'm not talking about NASA. You tell me, oh, yeah, I, I want to go on that mission trip. No, not like that. I'm talking about to the outer islands where there's no electricity, where... Uh, there's basically well water. We spent a, a week there with our church. 
And I was there one, uh, we've gone several times. This time I was there was a funeral. And they start the night before in preparation for the funeral where they come and have what they call a wake. And I could not believe the wailing and the screaming that was going on over the loss of this person. That's the idea here when Jesus talks about lament and weeping, the emotional pain. He says that you're going to experience that, especially when I'm gone, when I go to the cross, when you're scattered. There's going to be that lamenting and weeping because you're going to think all H-E double toothpick has broken loose. That the aspirations about about, about the Lord putting Israel back on top in the kingdom and throwing the Roman government off their backs. All of that would be diminished. They will weep and cry. And so the pain is real that we go through. Not only is there the mental perplexing, but there's the emotional pain. But notice the second point. Once we apprehend the principle... Number two, there is a promise to accept. There's a promise to accept. What is that promise? Well, he says it very clearly in verse 23 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. He says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. He's talking about prayer. That's why I was so excited to hear you talk about here about answer prayer. You know, there's something about prayer, praying to God, and seeing Him answer in your situation, in your heartaches, in your sorrows. And when God comes through, and He definitely comes through, beloved. It gives you a joy that is overflowing because you know that God loves you. He cares for you. That's what I like about Jesus. Even in the midst of getting ready to go to the cross, his disciples who are pooling their ignorance, full of sorrow, he had his own sorrow to think about, but yet he focused on them. He loved and cared for them. And so God tells us, Indeed, to pray to him, to believe, to trust him, to bring all of our needs and concerns to him. It was interesting, you know, David, who wrote a good majority of the psalms, not all of them, but a good portion of them. A lot of those psalms were written during times of sorrow. When Saul was after him for seven and a half years, in the midst of that, David writes these beautiful music. That God gives him. And so, but you got to believe that. You know, I'll never forget. Uh, we live on the west side of Detroit. And like a lot of neighborhoods, um, in this particular, uh, we was living in Warrendale. There were some young men who moved in and started selling drugs. And just right across the uh, street, I don't know if Jason, if you remember that. Uh, when the house right across from us. And um, we had um, decided, you know what, well, we need to do something. We cannot just allow this to go on in our community. 
And so we had made some inquiries into the police. And one night, um, was a, I think it was a Friday night or Saturday, early in the morning, I hear this big loud thud. And I thought perhaps Jason had fallen out of bed or something. I didn't know. Because uh, <laughs> it was a loud thud. And so I get up. We were, our bedroom was in a, uh, one of these two and a, two and a half uh, room uh, uh, bungalows, bedrooms. I, I go downstairs. Him and James are sound asleep. Jessica's sound asleep. I thought, you know, maybe I'm just hearing something. And then I hear a knock on the door. And, and it was on the side door. And so I go to the side door. I don't see nobody. I hear a knock on the front door. It's kind of like musical doors. I said, what is going on here? When I went to the front door, there was Detroit's finest. Shine his flashlight dead in my face. And he said, sir, excuse me, but do you know that there is a car in your front of your porch? And I go, what? And sure enough, there was someone had rammed the car right through our porch. And I go, what is going on here? And I looked across the street, and there was this guy peeping out the window. I said, uh-huh. You're trying to intimidate me now. And so I called up one of the pastors the day or two later while they were all out in the front with their boys, kicking it, making fun. And we stood right in the front of my yard. We held hands and we prayed out loud in the name of Jesus that God, that you would remove these men from this neighborhood who's causing no good in this community. And they was kind of just laughing and just thought, you know, what was going on, thought it was, you know. But you know what? Within three weeks, they were gone. Totally, completely cleaned out, and they never came back. You know how that made me feel in terms of my joy was made full? How God answered something in the midst of my pain? But we got to trust him. Believe him. Continue one of the most important things you're doing is that when you share about your time in worship, about prayer time and answer prayer, continue to do that. Because we have the promise to believe that Jesus has given us. Now, I need to say one thing about this real quickly. Now, this is not like a blank check. With some of us, I know we would love to have a blank check where it's already signed by the president of the bank. You can fill in any amount, okay? When he said, you ask anything in my name, he says, well, I will do it. Well, there's a little, let, let, let's clarify something here. Because, you know, I so, said, hey, I want to ask for a big house over in the gross point. So I need, you know, a big Mercedes. Which, by the way, Mercedes is nothing but someone saying, mercy D, these payments are killing me. Okay? But anyway, um, here's the thing. When it says, Jesus says, when you pray in Jesus' name, that's not just a formality. But the idea is that you pray on his behalf, in his character, in his will there. And so that when I do pray, yes, and on, on, on his behalf, and on behalf of the kingdom, and what he wants, what he desires, yes, God will respond and answer. That's fair. It's not God's will for all of us to be driving Mercedes or in big houses like that. 
But it is God's will indeed for his kingdom to expand and for you to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. A principle to apprehend, a promise to believe. But thirdly, all right, I think we're right on time here. He talks about predicaments. Allow me just for, you know, the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip a good portion of this. But uh, in verse 32, Jesus says, look, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Not only are we perplexed mentally when we're going through some really deep heart aches and sorrow times, and there's the emotional pain, but also, you know, there are these, what he calls them tribulations. I call them predicaments that God allows us to be placed in because of our commitments to him. Now, I'm not talking about uh, predicaments that you find yourself in because of your own sinful choices. And we do make those. People talking about, you know, uh, oh, my cross that I'm having to bear. This this is that tabernacle they're talking about, you know, about the cross you have to bear. Then when you counsel them, you find, hey, that's not your cross. That's your crop. (laughs) The seeds you have planted have come up now, and that's your crop that you have. But I'm talking about, though, for those of us, he's talking about that is when we're following Jesus Christ, he says you will have tribulation because you were in the world. But he says, in me, you will find peace. And so I think that's really the significant thing. In him we have peace. In the world we will have tribulations, trials, predicaments, problems. But he says, look, be of good cheer or take heart. Be of good courage. It says, I have overcome the world. So now, if I am in union with Christ, which we are, if you are in, if you are accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are in union with Him. And so His union becomes my victory, or His victory becomes my victory. If I trust and believe Him and affirm that position, Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who died and rose again on our behalf. That we walk by faith, not by sight. And so Mac Avenue, God has called you here for a particular purpose. And so that you are an overcome. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking either. Jesus said, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. That also is given to you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, it shall be done for you. And so every predicament that you find yourself in as a church and as an individual, remember, first of all, it is no accident. God has allowed it. He wants to use that 
to, trans- to transform you as you pray and as you take your position in him and affirm that. Take courage. Jesus, I love when he says, for the joy that was set before him. In Hebrews, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, there's nothing lovely about being crucified. Trust me. There's nothing delicate about being beaten, about being spit upon, about uh, a cat of nine tails one across your back 40 times. That's not what he was joyful about. He was joyful about the accomplishment, what was going to happen as a result of the cross, of reuniting so many back to the Father called the church, the body of Christ. So God has called you here. Yes, you're going to have some tough times. Today, some of you got some heartaches right now. But I'm here to tell you that today's heartaches when you place it in the hand of God, can become tomorrow's joys. If you apprehend the principle, if you indeed affirm indeed the promise, and then, oh God, if you take also the position and stand there and stand and allow the Lord to be your victory. And so keep on sharing the gospel. Keep on loving people. Keep on caring for them. Keep on serving their needs. God will come through. And he'll never, ever let you down and forsake you. Close with this song by author named Larnell Harris. You know, uh, I mentioned about Al Green. He said, how can you mend a broken heart? He's speaking for those who probably who do not know Christ. That's how they see it. But once we come to know Christ, we realize that in every perplexing situation, every painful experience, every predicament, that God was in it after all.
were there. After all, every time you called, he heard your cry. Even though he didn't respond immediately the way you would have liked, he heard, he knew, and he put the process of transformation. You know, did the disciples experience joy, even though in the midst of their sorrow? All you got to do is go over to the book of Acts. Peter stands up very boldly and proclaims the gospel before thousands and thousands of men and women, whereas 40 days before he couldn't even confess Christ before a little servant girl. Later on, they would be beaten, and the scripture says they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Oh, yes, he took their sorrows and turned them into joy. Allow him to do the same thing for you and I. We're going to have right now, um, thanks T for the sharing the holy word with us. We're going to have a tithe and offering time. Right